Hey everyone, my name is Nathan Forster, and I'm asking the big questions of authors and activists, scholars and survivors, poets and priests, therapists and theologians, and basically everyone in between. This will be a resource for people who, deep in their bones, think that surely God's kingdom is deeper and wider than the box we've sometimes put it in. And so what better way to discover this than by learning people's stories and their specialities, in order that we deepen and widen our perspective on faith, community, society and life. So journey with me as we go deeper and wider. This week's episode of Deeper and Wider is a particularly special episode as it comes out on National Reconciliation Week 2020. Now, for those who don't know what National Reconciliation Week is, our friends over at Common Grace put it quite well when they say, This is an annual celebration that builds upon the respectful relationship shared between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and non-Indigenous peoples of all cultures in these lands now called Australia. During National Reconciliation Week, all Australians are invited to learn about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and histories, to share that knowledge and to help us grow as a nation. Reconciliation is a journey of friendship, one that needs to be grounded in truth and action. The theme of National Reconciliation Week 2020 is In This Together. Part of what makes deeper and wider the program it is, is by learning people's stories and their perspectives on topics that deepen and widen our perspective of what God is doing in our world. And so I couldn't think of a more fitting episode at a more fitting time to talk about both reconciliation and also what it means to be both Aboriginal and Christian. And so I had the absolute pleasure to have a conversation on this topic with who I consider to be one of the most important Christian voices in these lands we now call Australia in these times. A conversation with Brooke Prentice. Brooke Prentice is an Aboriginal Christian leader from the Waka Waka peoples. Brooke is the CEO of Common Grace, a growing movement of over 47,000 Australian Christians passionate about Jesus and justice. Brooke is also the coordinator of the Grass Tree Gathering, a growing network of over 200 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders. Brooke is also a founding board member in Australia of Nates, a global Indigenous learning community of theologians. Brooke works ecumenically, speaking on issues of justice affecting Australia and sharing a message of reconciliation as friendship. As we go through today's episode, we'll be covering questions like, what is it like to be Aboriginal in the Australian church? What does reconciliation look like? How has Aboriginal identity shaped the way Aboriginal peoples view the gospel? How do we read the Bible with Aboriginal eyes? What can non-Indigenous Christians learn from our Indigenous brothers and sisters? And many more questions that we will cover today. From questions on reconciliation, forgiveness, theology, cultural engagement, and even stories about how God has been working in these lands well and truly before white people came along. So let us get into today's episode as we talk about reconciliation 
and an Aboriginal perspective to Christian faith with Brooke Prentice. So tell us your early faith journey. Yeah, well, I came to faith uh, in 2001 uh, when I was 21. And so uh, that was in the Salvation Army. And uh, it was through um, uh, my best friend. She is a fourth generation um, salvo. And uh, we'd met on our first day of uni back in 1998. And I'd gone to church with her over the four years leading up to the end of 2001 when we were graduating, and um, but had not really connected that much with it. I um, had come to do some of the youth ministry stuff uh, because it was uh, I've got a Bachelor of Commerce and a Bachelor of Arts, and my arts is a major in Japanese and a major in political science. And so um, the Salvation Army have uh, what they call Sagala, uh, which is kind of like a girl guides uh, type thing. And the girls all earn badges and uh, study and these sorts of things to earn their badges. And one of the subjects was about um, government. And I actually set up, uh, helped to set up youth parliaments in Queensland, as well as being involved in the National Youth Parliament. Uh, when I was a young person from the age of 17 to 21, uh, I was running those youth parliaments. And so uh, I would share that with the girls and help them to earn their badge. Uh, Mm. And then at the end of 2001 in November, I went to a Salvation Army meeting, church service, and, uh, yeah, Jesus impacted my life in a big way and Mm. I couldn't uh, turn away. And so it was kind of in that one night uh, and then embarked on the the journey to to learn more, discover more, and then eventually, uh, 12 months later, became a soldier of the Salvation Army, which means mm-hmm. a full church member. Mm. But now what my faith journey is like, and maybe that's another question, but uh, I work very ecumenically. So the Salvation Army, the Uniting Church, the Anglican, the Baptist, uh, the Pentecostal um, churches, Presbyterian, mm. uh, everyone. So uh, I see the beautiful gifts of diversity within the Australian church now, which is an incredible journey uh, as I've walked with Jesus across these lands now called Australia and in the Australian church. Mm, mm. So your early faith journey started out in the, the, the salvos. And did you say you had a particular experience? Is that right? You had a particular experience of Jesus or was this a kind of an unfolding thing for you? No. So I'd been going uh, with my friend, you know, over the four years, usually for special events and to support her. Uh, And then it was one night uh, at the end of 2001, November 2001, and my friend uh, Natalie uh, had rung me up and said, oh, do you want to come to church tonight? And I said, oh, no, I I don't want to come to church tonight. And uh, she said, oh, are you sure? It's a youth meeting. My dad's preaching. Um, And a church service in the Salvation Army is called a meeting. Uh, And... uh, I said, oh, okay, all right, I'll come. Um, And so I came and her dad did this incredible sermon uh, about Jesus. And he's a film editor as well. And he'd done this incredible um, video uh, showing all of the miracles of Jesus to this beautiful music. And I'd never seen anything like it. And then he was talking about Jesus. And so to see all Jesus 
kind of miracles all in the one package with this um, moving music. And then he talked, mm. the sermon was about Jesus and comparing Jesus to Superman. And I'm like, oh, I get this. Like, okay, Superman, you're kind of talking my language. Mm. Uh, and then he said, you know, Superman, uh, people spend all this money on Superman. They buy Superman T-shirts, other merchandise. They spend money on tickets to go to the movies. They buy videos back then and DVDs. Uh, they buy uh, um, comic books. Uh, they buy figurines. They spend all of this money on something that is completely unbelievable. Like Superman does not exist, cannot exist. But here is Jesus, who is a real man and who uh, um, even the non-Christian historians uh, of the time record the, the miracles of this man named Jesus. And I went, wow, really? And anyway, I was... It was kind of like an instant thing and I didn't know wow. whether to laugh or cry or what was happening, but it was like in that moment I knew that Jesus was real and uh, he was part of my life. And then, you know, to tell a bit of a longer story, I was driving home with my friend Natalie from church that night and I'm still like a mess of emotions and going, I don't know what's just happened. And yeah, I'm trying right. to wake up the, the courage into how to tell her. Like we'd been friends for four years, right? And she um, – uh, anyway, we're in the car and I'm trying to work up the courage to tell her or ask her. I didn't even know what to do. And I said, we nearly got to my house where she was dropping me off. And I said, oh, I really enjoyed what your dad had to say tonight. And and um, Natalie kind of just went on a bit and she's like, oh, yeah, he's a good speaker. He's a good this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, oh, no, Nat, like, like I really enjoyed what your dad had to say tonight. And she's like, what, what what do you mean? What do you say? Wow. <laughs> and, uh, I'd like to know a bit more. And um, she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and uh, my favourite colour was purple. It still is purple and blue. Um, and so the next day she went out and found a purple Bible for me and gave it to me. And, um, uh, yeah, I continued to, to journey with her and incredible discipleship leaders. Wow. Um, with herself as well as the ministers of the Salvation Army that were there at the time, um, Lieutenant Colonels uh, Christine and David Reese, uh, who had a huge impact on my life. They were just incredible. They are incredible pastoral carers. And so, mm. yeah, it was very well um, looked after on that journey um, uh, from that point on, which has uh, been amazing. Yeah. And so I often tell young people today, I mean, we were both 21, Natalie and I, um, but 18 when we met. And, uh, you know, sometimes you don't have to have an agenda. It's Jesus that does the transformational work. Yeah. And um, she just invited me. I became, you know, part of the family. She invited me to youth group Bible studies, even though that freaked me out sometimes. But we'd have this incredible meal and fun times afterwards and, and during um, and then church as well. And so the importance of community and not feeling like an outsider in a church uh, when that's you haven't been brought up with a faith um, background. So I encourage people, just invite your friends to yeah, these different things and let Jesus do the transformational work. Yeah, that's good. It reminds me of something that I once thought about in terms of what we mean by the word witness. And sometimes that word witness has become weaponized and seen as almost like a semi-Bible bashing term. But like, what would it mean to be a witness like looking outside and seeing birds singing? And, you know, the birds aren't shoving their song in our face. The birds are just singing. And there's something so beautiful about being present in that and 
find ourselves caught up in something bigger than ourselves. Yes, that's right. And, you know, it was incredibly uh, strange, funny, um, all makes sense um, at university when you have all of the, so we're at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, St. Lucia campus, and you've got all the appreciation societies. And so I'd be with my friends um, and, you know, at um, orientation week, they hand you out all the clubs and things that you can join. And my friends were all getting beer appreciation society and wine <laughs> appreciation society and chocolate appreciation society and movie appreciation society. And I'd always get the Christian ones. And I'm like, <laughs> about me? Why do I keep getting these Christian organisations wanting me to be part of them? And uh, so it's funny to look back on that now and, um, <laughs> you know, uh, see the work that was happening. But it was just simply Natalie, how she lived her life, that faith was part of her life. Um, yeah. And she wasn't ashamed to hide that. But also it was just witnessing that her life um, you know, I was just intrigued. Why Why is this different? Like when a big crisis would hit, um, she just handled it differently. The way she thought about material possessions was different. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was just intriguing. And I, I think, you know, uh, all Christians, if we just live mm. our lives comfortably with Jesus and yeah. um, people can see the light through yes, us. Yes. Yes, that's right. And that's what it means to be a witness, isn't it? It is to, you know, a, a light doesn't go, look at me, I'm a light. <laughs> the light just shines and does what the light does. So obviously your, your faith has moved and changed over time. And so you went from salvos and you said eventually you became a bit more ecumenical. So in terms of cross-denomination, you know, cross, cross different, different denominational lines, movement lines as well. Is, would that be correct to say that was your next step or there were there steps in between between that as well yeah so um uh it was so 2001 i became a christian 2002 uh i became a soldier of the salvation army then 10 years later in 2012 i went to run the only aboriginal church of the salvation army in australia mm. um so i'm actually a chartered accountant by profession uh, and so I left uh, my accounting um, job to go and be a pastor and uh, Indigenous leader of an Aboriginal church uh, out in Ipswich. And so uh, in March 2012, so I just started running the Aboriginal church and then came across the Grass Tree Gathering. Yeah, right. Which our most senior Aboriginal Christian leader in Australia, one of our most senior, Auntie Jean Phillips, uh, had set up and uh, she was bringing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders from right across Australia and across all denominations and church backgrounds together. Mm. And so I met 60 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders from right across Australia and across all the different churches. And so I had only really known the Salvation Army and all of a sudden I found all my Aboriginal uh, Christian leader friends yeah, wow. uh, who were in every you know, denomination and church that you could think of in Australia. Mm. And so I went, oh, okay, the Australian church looks like this. I think sometimes we can get so uh, our only frame of reference is our own denomination. Mm. And uh, then I hadn't really met other Aboriginal people in the Salvation Army, other Aboriginal Christians, and I went, oh, hang on, they're all out here. And I've just met them. And so what does that mean to then journey together uh, as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christians and leaders uh, within our 
different church contexts where it can often be quite lonely and isolating uh, because you don't sometimes you don't see other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander mm. Christians. Uh, but what I found out is that they are there and they're in every denomination. Uh, it's just often the denominations don't know who their Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders are. And so now in 2020, the Grass Tree Gathering is now, from those 60 that started, we're now a network of over 200 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders who are all connected up with each other. Mm, wow. And I'd certainly like to learn more about the Grass Tree Gathering. But before we we go there, you alluded to how there was this sense in you of wanting to to find other Aboriginal Christians. So obviously, there's this there was a time in your faith where the connection between your Aboriginal identity and your faith was starting to emerge. So could you perhaps tell us a story of how you began to connect both your Aboriginal identity with your faith? Yeah, so um, I guess uh, when you're in a church where you're the only Aboriginal person, uh, it actually never came up. And so it never came up in conversation. Uh, It wasn't for others. It didn't seem like a core part of identity. I mean, we're talking about Australia, what, 20 years ago, Mm. um, where... Aboriginal things were not discussed the way they are. There has been a massive shift in the last 20 years, but particularly in the last uh, eight years. I think 2012 was actually a pivotal moment, and then especially in the last five years as well, which I think is the influence of um, NITV, when you go back to when that became Free to Air, which is our national Indigenous TV network that's Free to Air TV, uh, which has really made a massive difference. And so Aboriginal people are recognised and talked talked about within society still not we've still got a long long way to go um but these things have sort of uh coincided and so uh what i've said and what many aboriginal people say is we don't have a problem trying to connect our aboriginality and our christian faith Mm -hmm. uh god just works that out for us and you know that's kind of what i had thought internally without having to articulate it until I actually stepped into that Aboriginal Christian leadership role back in 2012 and which has grown since then uh, and meeting other, especially our older Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders, those in their 70s and 80s, um, that have then helped to shape that and and deepen that um, just as any faith journey uh, is Mm. deepened by your your teachers and those that you look up to and who journey with you. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I guess the big surprise has been uh, within the Australian church that there's still a lot of non-Indigenous Christians who can't understand how we can be Aboriginal and how we can be Christian. And so that's where it comes up in conversation. And, you know, I pray every day that we can just mm. be accepted as fully Aboriginal and fully Christian yeah, uh, and don't have to, you know, Jesus has done the work in our lives. Uh, yeah. We are fully Christian, but we are, we, he has made us, our identity is Aboriginal. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, he just works that out for us. And it was amazing. Like I had thought about that for a, a long time. And then uh, the singer Goitier. Uh, he had gone up to Arnhem Land and I stumbled across this article of his trip up there and he'd asked uh, the Yolongu peoples uh, 
how they put their Aboriginality and their Christian faith together. And these um, incredible Aboriginal elders from Arnhem Land say, God just works it out for us. Oh, I love <laughs> so, that. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> and so Gwentier is like, you know, telling this incredible story that it's like, well, that was a silly question for me to ask, wasn't it? Like, you know, <laughs> but um, yeah. So, and and sharing his journey with uh, the Yolongu peoples in this wow. news article was really beautiful and how they shared music um, and that faith story as well. Mm. And perhaps the silliness of my question dispels uh, a myth that somehow being Aboriginal and being a Christian are kind of two opposite things. Whereas from what I've been hearing from your story and of course the experiences of others, you know, we're talking about, you know, if we were just to look at the census data on those who identify as, as Christian, those who are Aboriginal, I mean, it's, it's massive in terms, was it something like 80% or, or around that number of Indigenous people who identify with a Christian faith? Yes, that's right. So it's a majority of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people uh, still identify as Christian. Uh, what happened with the census data is the last census, um, the percentage actually dropped to 54%, but you had more people identifying as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, like later in life. But if you yeah, go back to the right. census okay. just before, so four years prior, um, our so we had a smaller population of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples because less people were identifying. and um, But the percentage that identified as Christian was 73%. So that's only, you know, the second last census, which was higher than the non-Indigenous population. And so, you know, we're still trying to work out what that census data really is telling us. It's telling us sure. a number of things. Okay. But uh, most Christian, non-Indigenous Christians that I meet automatically assume that uh, Aboriginal people aren't Christian. And when I say, no, no, a majority of us are Christian. So when wow. you have a conversation with us, we're more likely to be Christian than not, um, which I think is quite different in um, the non-Indigenous population. Whilst I think it's about 60% of non-Indigenous people identify as Christian, um, uh, you know, I think non-Indigenous people sometimes aren't as upfront. That 60% is hard to find as well. Um, mm. So, uh, you know, I think it comes to how we talk about faith uh, in Australia um, and as Christians, what does that mean for us? Yeah, that's just fascinating just to observe it from that point of view then. So in that sense, what, what is it like to be an Aboriginal in the Australian church context? Uh, it's still hard. And mm. so when you know our incredible Aboriginal Christian leaders that have paved the way for us as the younger generations um, and what they've fought for over the years and trying to, uh, you know, overcome government policies that ruled their lives up until the late 1960s um, and then the racism um, that existed and still exists today. Mm. Mm. Uh, and there is racism in the Australian church and it's still impacting our lives today. And sometimes churches are not safe places for us as Aboriginal peoples. Uh, and so, you know, even one example I can give is I went in as the guest preacher into a church for National Reconciliation Week. And, uh, you know, I gave my um, slides uh, to the AV person and they're like, oh, you're, you're our guest uh, preacher today. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm so thankful for the invitation. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And then the first, the next thing that they said was, 
oh, all you Aboriginal people don't have to work, you all get welfare. <gasps> and I said, Goodness. no, 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 like we have to work. <laughs> and he's like, no, you don't, you get everything for free, you know, um, you get welfare and you don't have to pay tax and none of you have to work. And I said, no, no, that's one of the biggest myths and misconceptions, um, but he just would not listen. Oh and, um, you know, like the strength that it takes uh, to then pick yourself up um, to know that that's still the Australia that we live in and this is within the Australian church. And that's one story. I could tell you a thousand stories that have just happened to me, let alone to other Aboriginal um, Christians within the Australian church. And, uh, you know, I guess that is my deep prayer for our nation. Um, like uh, it's only been the Uniting Church that came out strongly saying that racism is a sin. Mm. And so, when does the church start to take this seriously? Because the impact on our lives as Aboriginal peoples um, is massive. Uh, and Beyond Blue did incredible work called Stop Think. Um, uh, Stop Think, and there's a third word, um, and the Invisible Discriminator back in 2014. Mm. And, you know, they found like one in 10 non-Indigenous Australians would not employ an Aboriginal person uh, one in four would move seats on the bus if we um, sat next to them. I think it was still like uh, 58% have heard uh, a racist Aboriginal joke and not done anything about it. Uh, and we've been in those situations, followed in retail environments uh, and all of these things. And, uh, you know, my deep hope and prayer is that the church, it should be, because we follow Jesus, a place mm of love and of safety for all, including mm -hmm. Aboriginal peoples. And, I mean, you just look at the recent bushfires this year and mm -hmm. there was an Aboriginal man who went to one of the Christian organisations for help. Um, he'd been affected by the bushfires um, and the Christian worker said, we've helped enough of your people today. <gasps> oh, and he dear. was sent away. And this is an elder in a community. Um, and so that entrenched racism from the true history of Australia. I mean, this is 250 years that has not been dealt with and we're still mm. um, feeling the effects of that today. So that deep hope and prayer is that Australian Christians and the Australian church stand with us as Aboriginal peoples and say, enough, no more racism. Let's make start to make things right. Mm. And, you know, the other question we often get is, well, there, or a statement actually, oh, there, there are no Aboriginal Christian leaders. And I said, yes, there are. Here they all are. And now with Grasstree, we can show the Australian church, but it's still this fallacy that exists and this rhetoric that keeps getting repeated. Mm. Uh, but we are available to be employed, um, uh, to uh, be resourced properly to do our ministries. Uh, and most Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders are just doing the ministry voluntarily uh, because it's an important mi um, ministry. When you realise the reality of the gap in yeah. health, education, prison incarceration, um, that's not closing, um, our people going into hospitals and prisons uh, and doing all of that chaplaincy work for basically free for voluntarily. But we do it because our people need us and they wow. want us. They're asking for the Christian leaders to come and minister to them, wow. uh, which I think is very different in the non-Indigenous population. And then the amount of funerals, um, you know, 
it's a different time because we're in a COVID-19 global pandemic situation, but many of our funerals in the capital cities, you'll have 1,500 people at one funeral. Mm. Um, and they're, I would say, 90% uh, Christian funerals. Uh, and um, uh, so it's in Brisbane, you can go to three funerals in a week. Um, three Aboriginal funerals in a week. That's the reality of the gap that isn't closing. And I mean, oh this goodness. is what COVID-19 is telling us, right? You know, it's um, people over the age of 70, but Indigenous people over the age of 50 mm. actually sit with what that is telling you. It's mm. telling you that Aboriginal people at the age of 50, uh, most of whom are living in capital cities, are uh, the same vulnerability as a non-Indigenous person over 70, uh, so what are we going to do about that gap in life expectancy? Um, you know, I said about some of our Aboriginal Christian leaders in their 70s and 80s, they are like smashing the statistic. Uh, but most of our people are gone by the age of 65. And that's the impact of the history on our present. And if we don't do something, then it'll impact our future. And I mm-hmm. guess that's my prayer for Australian Christians and the Australian church, that they'll they'll step up to... Uh, make things right, but to love, to love first, not to mm. judge first, but to love first, to love their Aboriginal neighbour, who's often their Aboriginal brother and sister and Aboriginal Christian brother and sister as mm. themselves. Mm. Um, and then when you think about all like multicultural ministry, if we can't get, if we call it cross-cultural ministry, if we can't get cross-cultural ministry right with First Nations people with Aboriginal peoples who the creator placed here as his Mm. custodians and stewards, if that can't be made right, and we have this word reconciliation, capital R, reconciliation, if we can't get that cross-cultural ministry right, how can we expect to get any cross-cultural ministry right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Or any missionary work in the world. And so this is where the importance of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leadership to be recognised and respected in the Australian church is so important. And we're ready. We're ready. We're there. And we're going to get on and do the business um, that Jesus has called us to do regardless. But uh, I think the true healing will come for all peoples in these Mm. lands now called Australia when we actually do have true reconciliation. And I think it's not just in Australian society I think we are being called as Christians to make it right in the Australian church first, and yeah. then we will see um, the ripple effect right through Australian society. Yes, yes. And it sounds like then there has to be that la- larger question of what exactly does reconciliation look like in churches? That's right. And I had that question uh It was from a 15-year-old in a youth group, and uh, he asked me, Brooke, when will we know we've achieved reconciliation? And I went, wow, what a question. Yeah, Um, wow. And I said, um, well, it's when I don't have to tell you the true history of Australia, um, that uh, every person in Australia, there's no debate about what happened to Aboriginal peoples. Um, uh, You know, we're still having fights over whether the stolen generations actually existed. You come and walk with Aboriginal people and you'll see we've, we've got... Um, the people who were in the stolen generation's home who still remember being removed from their families. And we've actually created a new stolen generation today. Uh, Mm. And so we still need to challenge the systems that are not just broken, but have been built upon injustice. Mm. Um, 
And so, uh, and it also means um, what I say, and whether you call it reconciliation or not, um, I say that there's actually a spiritual blindness and a spiritual deafness that transcends Mm. over these lands now called Australia. Mm. And that's why it's Christians' responsibilities to be part of as the hands and feet of Jesus in these lands to actually help to lift that veil of spiritual mm. blindness and deafness. Mm. And like we're bound in this spiritual bind um, that needs to be broken because we haven't dealt with the true history. We've still got this huge amount of racism. We've got poverty, um, generational poverty in Aboriginal peoples. Uh, 58% of Aboriginal people live in poverty in Australia. And so many people tell me poverty doesn't exist in Australia and I have to look to overseas. And I'm like, it does exist here. And it exists in non-Indigenous families Mm. as well. Um, And this is where the church actually has to live out that call um, of Jesus to walk uh, alongside um, the last, the lost and the least. Um, Mm. Uh, but if we just are in our church buildings, and obviously we can't be at the moment, uh, but if church is the four walls of the church building, uh, then you're just seeing a particular type of Australia, whereas there is poverty and injustice that exists every single day. And I'm pretty sure that's where where Jesus is. He's absolutely in the church building, but he's out on the streets um, with us mm. as well. Mm. And so... Uh, What we need to do is if we are to have reconciliation, uh, we have to come together as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and non-Indigenous peoples, and there's actions we have to take. Uh, And uh, for me, some of those actions are we come together Mm. and we sit together in our pain. Mm. We come together and we stand together against injustice. We come together and we walk together in truth and friendship. Wow. And when we come together, we cover all of that in prayer and we pray together. Mm. And I truly believe when those things happen, it will actually be what I think reconciliation actually looks like. Uh, And uh, it's then that we will break this spiritual bind that is on all of us and on these lands now called Australia. Mm, mm. Because Creator, Holy Spirit, and Jesus, they've seen the true history of these lands. They've been ever-present to it and pre-colonisation as well. And so uh, as Aboriginal peoples, we know um, those laws that have been passed down from the Creator to us Mm. before the colonisers came. Um, and uh, what we're called to do, which is to know who the creator is, uh, how to care for creation, and Mm. how to live in right relationship. Mm. And that right relationship, well, all of those are three kind of biblical mandates as well. And so that's why I'm like Aboriginal peoples and uh, Christian and non-Christian coming together with Australian Christians um, who then all come together with all non-Christians across these lands now mm. called Australia, we're being called to come together. Yes. And uh, I just hope that people open their eyes and their ears and their minds and especially their hearts to actually look out. And if you can't see Aboriginal people as part of your life, whether that's in real life or virtually, um, there's lots of ways you can connect with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders now, um, especially through Grass Tree and through Common Grace, uh, mm. that, you know, you can be on the reconciliation journey. Yes. 
Yes. And, and part of that reconciliation as well, as you alluded to, is is willing to tell the story of the true history of these lands, including the pain of the last 200 years of very, very, very recent <laughs> history of these lands. Um, because I don't think we've really come to terms with that part of, of these lands' most recent history because there's so much... There's, there's so much that needs to be confessed and to be to be named and to lament over and, and to grieve over and to do it together as a way of, of what it would look like to then only in that space seek out what, what friendship looks like and what reconciliation looks like. That's right. And I mean, that's what I call reconciliation friendship. Um, and if we looked at it as being friends with one another, uh, people understand the model of friendship. And friendship for me means that, uh, you know, you're each other's champion um, mm. and you celebrate together. Um, but then if there's sad times, you share that sadness together. Uh, and so you've got the full range of emotions of um, the sadness uh, where you lament together and you mourn together and you grieve together, but the times where you experience that joy and celebration with each other. And then between those extremes is a whole range of other life events that you share together. Uh, and so I think that's part of what reconciliation should be covering that whole wide range of what friendship means but mm. it's also a sign of maturity right uh, with you yourself individually you mature as an individual but in your relationships you mature as well it's a journey that you go on um, and especially in a friendship journey and so for me I think that's also a step for the nation of Australia that we can mature as well and so uh, but if we don't deal with the true history and the ongoing injustice mm. and poverty that Aboriginal peoples face in Australia uh, then we're not maturing uh, and even in our faith journeys, right, you mature in your faith journey. Mm. Uh, and so when we look at it as maturity and wanting to grow uh, and to grow uh, together um, and especially to grow in that love, appreciation and that honour um, for each other, uh, mm. then, you know, it, it's possible. It's possible. And I mean, when you think about reconciliation, I mean, that's another thing that happens to Aboriginal people. Like I've had some Christians say, oh, well, you're never going to have reconciliation because it can't ever happen until Jesus comes back. And I go, hang on, reconciliation is possible in our humanness. Mm. Of course, Jesus does the transforming work uh, and will strengthen and quicken that journey. But this is human things that we can do. Mm. Uh, and especially as Christians, we are Jesus' hands and feet in these lands now called Australia. What are we going to do with those hands and feet? Are we going to write letters to the government MPs uh, about Aboriginal deaths in custody? Are we going to take our feet and stand uh, with Aboriginal peoples on January 26 and actually learn um, the pain that can be caused around that date mm. and that for us mm. it's a day of mourning which was coined by an Aboriginal Christian leader and there are other Aboriginal leaders but William Cooper if people haven't heard William Cooper's story uh, mm. go and read about it uh, incredible Aboriginal Christian leader uh who every Australian should know, but sadly they don't. I mean, you just have to pick up the $50 note 
and mm. there's David Uniapon. Many people don't realise there's a church uh, on the $50 note, and that's with an Aboriginal man. That's an incredible story. His story is incredible. Um, but, you know, neither of them were citizens in their lives, uh, and that's the true history of Australia. And Goodness. so uh, we're still, you know, uh, dealing with the repercussions. All of us deal with the repercussions of uh, not dealing with that true history. Mm. Wow. And it does appear that there's an arc to this journey because, on the other hand, I have heard people use words that are otherwise that have become weaponized and that's words like forgiveness like people have often be like oh but shouldn't shouldn't should we just forgive and forget or forgive and move on but I, I imagine you would have a, a very different understanding of how we understand what forgiveness looks like in this this context of colonization uh, yes I do and unfortunately that is one of the weapons that's used against us as Aboriginal Christians uh, so many non-indigenous Christians have said to me oh, but you Aboriginal people, you just need to forgive. And I'm like, hang on, (laughs) (laughs) I'm a Christian. I understand the concept of forgiveness. I have to forgive each and every day, each and every day, because every day I walk upon the land and I know that that land was stolen from my people. My people became dispossessed, um, the destruction that happened to creation and the death of my people. You know, pre-colonisation, there were estimated over a million, possibly even more than a million, pre-1788 Aboriginal peoples in Australia. By the early 1900s, our population dropped to a mere 90,000 people. Mm -hmm. And the last census, we were at um, just over 600,000. So our population has still not got uh, to the levels that it was Mm pre-colonisation. And so what is God saying to us about that statistic and how Aboriginal people's lives um, uh, are treated in the past and the present and what will we do into the future? Uh, And so, uh, you know, I think um, we actually have to really understand that forgiveness. Uh, And I think the other thing that I say is that uh, we have to have reconciliation with repentance Mm. um, and also recognition with dignity Uh, and but that reconciliation with repentance what does that mean for non-indigenous peoples Um, what does it mean for aboriginal peoples as well and but when i journey with these aboriginal and torres strait islander christian leaders that are all across australia and i see their incredible faith in the Mm. face of um, adversity Uh, You know, I often have this image um, of the cross and as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders, we're on our knees at the foot of that cross. And Mm. many of us are brought to our knees in prayer each and every day for our nation and for all peoples. Um, But I often have this image that we're kneeling there and I'm looking behind, waiting for my non-Indigenous brothers and sisters to come and kneel and be with us as well at the foot of the cross to seek that healing, that Mm. comfort. Jesus is the great healer, the great comforter. Um, Mm. And, but we can't do it on our own. And in terms of the reconciliation movement, uh, Aboriginal people, we've been trying to do it on our own, but that's not what reconciliation is about. Mm. And we actually often also talk about conciliation instead, because reconciliation is about a broken relationship being repaired, but we actually have to ask ourselves, has there ever been a relationship? In mm. the and yeah. so is conciliation a better example? And 
that's when, like, when I talk about the true history, I go and research all of the journals of those first settlers, invaders, colonisers, um, and actually read their words. And uh, it was the king's instruction to Arthur Philip before Arthur Philip landed in 1788 that said to Arthur Philip, you are to conciliate the affections of the native people, showing them kindness and amity. And when you hear those stories that I've told about the racism that still exists and the injustice and the poverty, mm. we we actually have to ask ourselves, are we being shown that kindness? Are we being shown that love? Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that we can still forgive um, is an incredible gift from God and shows the grace uh, that works in our lives. Mm. And it sounds like that the concept of forgiveness, it shouldn't be in the hands of those who have done pain and the horror or the legacy of, of pain and horror, but rather it's, it's a gift given by God that is freely exercised from you and from other Aboriginal people as well, as opposed to something that's dangled over as some sort of uh, kind of weapon to be like, oh, you haven't done the forgiving. Whereas actually forgiveness has been happening, it sounds like from what you're saying, it, there's always forgiveness. And now you're going, yes, forgiveness and come, like let us be friends. Of I like how you put it, conciliation. Because as you said, reconciliation implies that there was something, something was there, then became broken, then needs to be fixed again. But rather, how do we actually become a people um, across these lands now called Australia where we, we do become uh, do the hard work of friendship, which of course does include the forgiveness, but it's so much more than that. It's it's actually, well, what needs to be repented of and, and how do we find ways to come together in that sense? Yes. And I, I think that's at different levels, right? There's the individual level. Um, there's the, we could even go a congregational level, a denominational level, mm. um, an overall Australian church and Australian society. And so it's uh, to find out where God is calling you into the journey and how to take a first step. Or, you know, one of the other things I often say is um, Australia's relationship with Aboriginal people, we've taken all of these first steps. Um, uh, so, you know, like getting citizenship uh, and being counted in the census back in 1967, our first step. Uh, mm. The apology to the stolen generations, another first step. Uh, and... Um, uh, you know, we keep having these first steps, but I ask, when do we ever take the second and the third and the fourth step? And mm. when do we actually start to run together? I yeah. want to see us run together. Yeah. Um, and even that running, I often have the vision of um, non-Indigenous people like picking up their Aboriginal brother and sister and carrying us um, a as a way of uh, whether that's the act of... Uh, feeling the cost um, to pick us up to run together. Uh, and that's not disempowering us. Uh, and so we don't want people to walk in front of us, um, which has happened as well, but mm. to actually run together side by side. Oh, that's good. Oh, man, I love that. I love that imagery. And, and perhaps it's, it's worth just saying as well, Brooke, because I know some listeners haven't often caught up with the reality of colonization, because I know some people have often pushed back, and I've heard it before from people where they've gone, oh, but, you know, that was 200 years ago, and that was, those were people then, what's it got to do with me? Uh, what, what do we say to that type of 
understanding of, of not coming to terms with the legacy of colonisation or the results of it? Yeah, so I very much encourage people to uh, read or listen to Dr. Peter Adam uh, and his uh, lecture from 2009, uh, Whose Land? Uh, he's the former principal of Ridley College and um, he has done his work, including theologically. And so I really encourage people to go and read that if they do want to ex- understand uh, what that means. And uh, But I guess on terms of the personal story, uh, one one of the key terms that's always uh, said to us is, well, I didn't do it. What do I have to be sorry for? And so I actually help people to think about this concept of sorry. Um, sorry doesn't isn't just an admission of guilt. Sorry is uh, like when someone passes away, often your first response is, I'm sorry. Mm. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry that you have to go through this grief. I'm sorry. Um, and so when you understand what has happened to Aboriginal peoples, uh, then, you know, we can be sorry together. Mm. Uh, and it means that we grieve together and we let that actually affect us, what that story means. You know, um, you look at the story of Cook uh, 250 years ago, and mm. on first seeing Aboriginal people, he doesn't extend his hand in friendship he pulls out his gun and shoots at the two men, the Guigal men that are standing there. Mm. Uh, imagine, can we imagine what would have happened if he had extended his hand instead of pulling out a gun? Mm. These are real men he shot at. Um, they felt the bullet, one of them felt the bullet go through his leg. Like, oh. let's not downplay what that actually means. These aren't fictional characters. These are real people. Uh, and uh, what would we have done if we were, what would non-Indigenous people have done if they were on that boat? Mm. And, you know, I live this story within my own family's history. Uh, You know, my Aboriginality comes through my maternal side, uh, and then uh, through my paternal side, uh, my dad's family, um, Scottish and English, Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, there's a piece of land um, that they were the original landowners of, the non-Indigenous people, that had sacred sites uh, of the Aboriginal people that were there because I saw recently a hand back um, to the local Aboriginal people of artefacts that had been taken from them on this land. And Mm. they're actually standing on the farmland, which includes their sacred sites, that my own family, my non-Indigenous family, had owned. Wow. And so... Um, there's an incredible video of Mile Creek Massacre where they bring together uh, – Mile Creek was one of the only massacres that actually held the non-Indigenous uh, murderers to account. And um, uh, it's an anniversary and they bring back the descendants of the uh, non-Indigenous people that did the killing and the mm. descendants of the Aboriginal people that survived. And the non-Indigenous uh, – man who's a grandson, I think, um, of the uh, people that were put to trial. He said, if your family were here during any of this time and you think that they weren't involved, you're kidding yourself. And so I have to reconcile that within my own family's history as well. Wow. Um, and whether their family, I, I mean, I don't know whether that my family might have Um, massacred Aboriginal people or removed them or uh, taken their children away from um, them as part of the stolen generations. I I won't 
probably ever know that story. But they were here. And even in their silence, they're part of that story. Mm. And so um, uh, what will we do with that story today? You can keep saying the rhetoric, I wasn't there, I didn't do it, I've got no responsibility. Or what does Jesus call your heart and your mm. mind and your hands and your feet to respond to your Aboriginal brother and sister who is still grieving? Yes. And when, uh, you know, it comes back to that, when we come together to reconcile our shared history, this mm. is a shared history. Uh, then I think that healing will break forth. Um, and, you know, one of the other rhetorics is, well, if we face up to this, particularly in relation to stolen land, um, if non-Indigenous people face up to this, they said, oh, um, but Brooke, I'm worried that Aboriginal people will want my house. And I'm like, <laughs> where does this fear come from? Like yeah. my first lesson as a Christian was, if Jesus is part of our life, what do we have to be afraid of what do we have to fear uh and um uh you know i truly believe that reconciliation is of god that he wants healing between our peoples and he wants us to reconcile with the true history uh Mm. and so if this is of god which i truly believe he's going to look after all of us yeah um because he brings that healing and that's healing to all of our lives uh indigenous and non-indigenous yeah, I've actually heard that before, funny enough, um, almost a fear of systemic revenge. And I go, well, we're not we're not really giving people <laughs> credit where credit's due. Like, like, really, is, is this what we think is going to happen? Like, I don't know. I don't think so. I think I think we can be better than that. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, when we talk about fear, uh, mm. the fear that Aboriginal people feel every day uh, is massive, uh, you know, whether that's from the past or in the present. And I still remember when I was like five years old um, and Lang Hancock was on, uh, I think it was 60 Minutes, and he said that his plan for Australia was to sterilise all the Aboriginal women. And I had to get mum to explain to me what that meant. And then, you know, I was five years old and this is what I'm hearing and uh, still that fear that you you carry today. What will the government um, do in terms of a policy? Uh, And, you know, even when you look at our constitution, Australia's constitution, we have been condemned by the United Nations. And Section 25 still allows uh, for any state to ban any race of people from voting. Uh, And that doesn't just affect Aboriginal people, that's any race of peoples. Why is Australia still having that in their constitution? Uh, It's only ever been used against us, uh, but the fear is still there that they could invoke that at at any stage. Uh, Mm. And what does that mean uh, for an Australia that does honour and respect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, but that also calls itself a multicultural Australia? Mm, Goodness. Goodness gracious me. Shifting gears just a little bit, because a pushback I've often heard is that some listeners hear about kind of Aboriginal spirituality and beliefs, and often I hear people being concerned anywhere from syncretism to outright accusations of of, it, of Aboriginal spirituality and beliefs being quote-unquote demonic. What would we say as a response to those concerns that, that people raise? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, that is uh, some of the common responses that we get. And what I say is, um, so I'm part of NAITS, uh, which is N-A-I-I-T-S. Mm. It took us till 2017, and we actually only signed the official memorandum of understanding last year for any theological college in Australia to agree to partner with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander leaders. And so uh, we did that. Uh, in 2019, we have a memorandum of understanding between Nates, the University of Divinity and Whitley College. Mm. Uh, but we only have about five Aboriginal Christian leaders of any denomination in the history of Australia with a master's or PhD in theology. Mm-hmm. Now, what Goodness. that says is our people are, are quite well qualified and we're now getting uh, qualified at the master's and PhD level, mm-hmm. um, but we haven't been given access to the theological colleges. Uh, and so um, I don't know where people are learning why this is called syncretism when they haven't actually sat down with Aboriginal Christian leaders who have done their mm. theological work to be able to explain what this means. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so I think it again comes from the palace. Animism is another one. Um, it comes from the place of fear or, uh, you know, you won't find one Aboriginal person that doesn't believe in the creator mm. and, for those of us that are Christian, that's the same creator, the yeah. creator God that is in the Bible and comes mm. from Genesis 1 right the way through. Mm. Uh, and, you know, also uh, the understanding uh, of Holy Spirit and Jesus. And mm. so you go back to some of the original interactions between the colonizers and the Aboriginal people and where, you know, you're trying to share about the Bible. And, you know, I still have non-Indigenous Christians say that Jesus came with the first fleet. And I'm just like, I I will forever be fascinated with non-Indigenous peoples, uh, their own fascination or theology where jesus can be removed from the trinity <laughs> like yeah yeah you know, like, oh, what man. Does that mean? and and yes the bible came on the first fleet uh, or with cook cook was carrying um when you read meredith dr meredith lakes the bible in australia uh cook was carrying a king james version the endeavor bible and uh but that bible was uh, used to not great ways uh, for Aboriginal people. Uh, But the fact that we are still Christian today, I mean, that's a miracle in itself. Mm. Uh, And part of that is many of us, the dreaming, uh, Mm. which is not a great word because each nation has their own word for what the dreaming is. And it used to be called the dream time. And those terms were coined by white male anthropologists so that's problematic on a number of levels oh i I didn't know that that's okay that's worthwhile knowing there you go that's right because they're putting their perception of a dream right which uh brings you connotations that this is made up uh because we were explaining how the plants and the animals and the lands and the mountains were all created by the creator but yet Mm -hmm. that's a dream why is that a dream uh because uh, for us, uh, you know, I say that uh, Genesis 1 and other Aboriginal leaders have said it, Genesis 1 is the greatest Aboriginal dreaming story ever told. Um, and so, so we see these parallels. Um, mm. And then, you know, another resource I recommend is Auntie Reverend Denise Champion's book, Yata Wandata. And on page 10 of her book, she says to uh, 
and I'm sorry for the undermutna language, um, uh, but uh, Aramwandanda, Andakaranda, and Wandawangapai, the Most High, the Christ, and the Good Spirit. Wow. So the word for the Christ exists in Andamatna language. Oh, that's incredible. But Andamatna is a matriarchal society. Mm. And so it's passed through the women. So if you've got white male anthropologists at colonisation and right through to the 1960s documenting Aboriginal peoples and our dreaming stories, how are they going to interpret that? They can't even talk to an Aboriginal woman who is actually the holder of the culture and the story of the creator that's been passed down from generation to generation. Mm. And so... Um, and, you know, there are some Aboriginal people uh, and, you know, we're talking about 300 cultures yeah. of Aboriginal people. So I can't speak to all of them um, mm. or to, a, you know, any of them uh, in a particular way. You know, I, I'm a Waka Waka woman. That was my grandmother's country. Uh, we weren't passed down the language. Um, and when you look at the colonisation story of Queensland and um yeah, the massacres and mm. uh, dispossession on huge scales. Uh, but, you know, there's elements of my culture that have been passed down and those stories that have been passed down. Um, and so I hang on to those and continue to learn today. We can still learn. And so I often thank the elders who continue to refresh, revitalise and maintain culture. Mm. Um, it's just so important. Uh, but, you know, if there are things in Aboriginal cultures that are not compatible um, with what we are called by Jesus to do, then, you know, those things do have to be looked at. But there are many more similarities than mm. differences. And mm. when we haven't even come to the basics, let's start with the basics before we jump to the deep, 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 deep theological uh uh, reflection or understanding and let's let Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people actually tell you and document our history, our story, our mm. culture um, and uh, our theology, which, you know, is the same theology as non-Indigenous people. But, you know, you look at the theological colleges, how many Aboriginal people are in there lecturing? Wow. I've only had a few uh, invitations across Australia and I've tried to knock on many theological colleges' doors to say, I, I want to teach. Um, let me teach. I can help you, um, whether mm. that's mm. Uh, missiology studies or, um, you know, spirituality, um, which I often have a problem with it being called uh, spirituality because, you know, for us it's just being Christian. Yeah. Um but, yeah, there's so much to still learn. But let's not go right to the end. Let's just start at the beginning. And mm. when the first thing that comes out of your mouth is, well, your theology is um, uh, syncretism and your beliefs are demonic, we're not going to get past yeah, step goodness. one, you know? Goodness. Yeah, it's, it's that all or nothing thinking as it relates to, to culture. And and, and like, I think you, you, you said it quite right. It's like even if there was something within you know, some, some aspects of, of what some people have coined Aboriginal spirituality that don't align, it doesn't, yeah, that's a, that's a universal thing. Like every culture has to do that. <laughs> every, every people group, every, every story. And yet though, to recognize though, that that isn't also to say that, that it, that with the introduction of 
kind of colonized Christianity that that somehow brought the gospel or clarity, but rather to recognize that actually there are whole there are stories um, from from the past that actually speak to how God has been work in in these lands now called Australia for for millennia, and and you've obviously touched on some. So I think that's absolutely amazing hearing that 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 particular one that you told. Are you aware of any any others where we've heard the, in the story of the Creator and Jesus and the Spirit? Uh, well, um, there's actually a story with the Aranda people, and this was on a NITV documentary. And there's this massive footprint in the rock, embedded in the rock. And the story was um, the women fell asleep, and the the waters, these floodwaters, rose. And then when they uh, the floodwaters went away, the women woke up and here was this footprint in the rock um, and I, they actually uh, saw Jesus and they have Jesus as part of their cultural story. Wow, wow. Uh, and so, you know, that's in the centre of Australia. So we're just starting to uncover all of these things. You look at the Wurundjeri people and Bundle the Eagle and this story is told in the Melbourne Museum. Mm. You can actually sit in Bunjil's nest, and Bunjil was this massive eagle. But Bunjil sung the country. So many of our things are through singing and our song lines and our dance. Bunjil mm. sung the country. Um, then Bunjil sung the people, one man and one woman. Wow. And then Bunjil sung the law, uh, and which is how to live in right relationship with all of creation. Uh, and so, uh, wow. you know, you can't get much closer to Genesis 1. Yeah, that's um, incredible. And that that law, uh, you know, looking, caring for creation, it's not worshipping creation. That's where people often get confused. They think we worship the land. We are called to respect it all because we have mm-hmm. to care for it for the future generations. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in our cultures, you don't take anything to extinction or scarcity because mm-hmm. you have to manage the resources for all peoples yeah. um, and for all of creation. And, uh, you know, one of the first acts of Arthur Philip he literally landed in a woodland. And so he cut down the trees to make his pathway through. The Aboriginal people could have showed him the pathway because they'd been wearing it down for thousands of years. And that's where most of our major highways today, uh, Mm -hmm. it wasn't the brilliant thought of uh, the colonisers. These were Aboriginal trading routes that most of our major highways are on today. Um, They were already, you know, paved uh, from all of the footprints over thousands of years. Uh, And so, you know, that's um, uh, incredible stories uh, as well. Wow. And and just on that very particular story you told then as well, like even those footpaths are treaded in a light way. It, it's not a destroying of the land or anything like that. And like all of this goes back to to Genesis, you know, what it means to be made in God's image, to be a person who, or to be a peoples who look after God's good world. And I think you're quite right as well when you talk about how people misunderstand Aboriginal people groups as somehow worshipping the land. But rather, what would it mean to see that if God is the good creator, and like any artist, any artist will pour them themselves into into their creative work. And so, you know, what would it mean to to see the lands as sacred, but not in 
not in the ways that that people have often misunderstood that, but to actually see it as like God so loves this world. Like John three sixteen really is God loves the world. <laughs> God loves everything in it: the trees, the plants, the animals, the peoples. And to see it all as sacred, I think that's that's so much more in line with with the Hebrew Bible than than anything I've heard. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. And you know, I, I'll never forget the first time I went to the Great Barrier Reef and went snorkeling. Um, and this was before this was 1997, so before I'd become a Christian. But when you see all of those different fish and the different mm. coral, and yeah. you're like. How did this happen? And so I remember as I saw all of this fish, I'm like, oh, wow, maybe God is real because I don't know how you create this many different varieties of colours and combinations, um, how that could ever possibly happen. So you start to question as you see these different things, but your eyes have to be open um, Mm. to seeing all of that. And, you know, just another funny point in terms of this Aboriginal spirituality, it's probably only been in the last 12 months like whenever people ask me, how do you put your uh, Aboriginal spirituality and Christianity together, I would try and answer that. Um, but one of the things I've started doing now, and it's a little bit cheeky, um, <laughs> because it's only our culture that is put under the microscope and in terms of <laughs> Christianity. And that's where the dominant culture uh, thinks that they kind of are the interpreters of Christianity. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the default. Yes, so that's right. And uh, so I've started to go back and, and say, well, h- how do you fit your um, uh, non-Indigenous, particularly white Western Anglo uh, culture with Christianity? <laughs> you know, because when you put those two together, mm. what do I see? I see um, profit, greed, um, mm. not sharing resources, destroying the land. Uh, mm. How do we relate those things to our biblical principles? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, to for particularly non-Indigenous people and particularly our young people who are growing up in this culture, non-Indigenous young people that, you know, still has a dominant um, white culture uh, mm. to go, you know, you're interpreting through a lens. Mm. Um, and so you always have to understand that you see things through a lens because it's only when you understand that that you can lift the lens and Mm. start to see something different. Mm. Um, And that's where Uncle Reverend Graham Paulson, in his incredible paper with Mark Brett, Five Smooth Stones, talks about reading the Bible with Aboriginal eyes. Mm. Uh, And, you know, the Bible is filled with stories of stolen land and stolen children. Yeah. Uh, what does that say to us today? And if you wow. don't know the true history of Australia, then you're missing out on a whole understanding of the application um, of what we're being called to. Yeah. Well, that was going to be one of my questions. Like, yeah, how do we read the Bible with with Aboriginal eyes? So obviously, seeing this in terms of the the the, the story of stolen lands and the like, is there any 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 other ways of looking with the at the Bible with Aboriginal eyes? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, not forgetting to start at Genesis 1. Um, Mm. Often non-Indigenous theology starts at (laughs) Genesis 3. And we're not saying you ignore Genesis 3, but let's not ignore Genesis 1. Like Mm. I preached a sermon um, about creation uh, and it's particularly around the birds, um, the emu, the cassowary and the ostrich and what they have to say to us about stewardship and sustainability and, uh, you know, the churches I preach that in, they're like, that's the first sermon that we've ever heard like that. And I'm like, 
really? Wow, <laughs> like, really? Why, why Goodness. Is that the case, oh, my you know? Um, yeah. Uh, and so, and it's true, like, you know, you often don't hear uh, sermons about creation. And so, what does that mean? Mm. Um, and that's how, you know, Indigenous people we have the cyclical view. It's not a linear view. And so uh, in our theologies, our theology, which should mm. be non-Indigenous theology too, it's this whole circle from creation um, and salvation, all in this cyclical Jesus, Holy Spirit creator, uh, all in community. And so mm. we can't carve up the stories um, that help to suit us. And I think often Indigenous people are kind of, told that we're the ones carving up the stories, but uh, we can see it in that whole cyclical nature, which is part of our worldview. So what can non-Indigenous Christians learn from our Indigenous brothers and sisters in the faith? Oh, there's so much. Uh, So it's kind of like, where do you start? But I just encourage people uh, to just open themselves up to the journey and they'll start to see, you know, uh, go and buy Arnie Denise Champion's book, Yada Wandata. Um, listen to the sermons that are online uh, by Aboriginal Christian leaders. Uh, follow the grass tree gathering uh, mm. and um, uh, follow Common Grace as well. And mm. I'm sure some of the things that you can listen um, learn from us are, about uh, how we do see the the creator uh, in these lands now called Australia and what we can teach you about these lands now called Australia. Mm. Um, You know, the names for us, the naming of the rivers and the mountains in our Aboriginal names, uh, they come directly from the creator. And Mm. so they've been displaced by the coloniser who is obsessed with naming things after themselves. Mm. Um, And so, you know, you just go down to the Sutherland Shire and you've got Cook Drive and Cook's River and Cook Park. And and that's part of where, you know, Cook first shot at those Aboriginal people and came ashore. Uh, But all of those places had names given by the creator. Um, So do we think we might want to learn from that? Uh, you know, you look at the Aatsis, uh Indigenous map of Australia and all of the nations living side by side each other, uh, a time before we needed a word like reconciliation. And so to learn from that, not that we're nomadic hunters and gatherers, that just needs to stop. It's always been false and it still is false. We can yeah, right. tell you time yeah. and time again. Um, but, uh, you know, it didn't mean we were just stuck in our country. We would travel the different countries. And, um, you know, on Waka Waka country, you'd have over 40 nations come together for uh, special ceremony and trading. And wow. you, you look at Philip's journals um, and when he captured Benelong, and Philip tells you that he made Benelong, he chained him up, chained up Benelong, um, and made Benelong teach him the language, um, the family structure, and the economies. And so we had economies. We, we've we always known that, but it's up to the rest of Australia to catch up with what that means. Yeah, but wow. it's, it's an economy that doesn't use resources to their scarcity. And so mm-hmm. I think that particularly speaks into this moment in Australia where people are starting to slow down, take time to breathe, take time to reconnect, that you don't need to fly in an aeroplane or drive your car or what are the things that you place value and importance on because Mm. there is a different way. Um, Mm. 
and we can teach you that different way, how to listen uh, with not just your ears, but listening for us is with your whole being, yeah. your eyes, your ears, your mind, your heart, and, and your whole being. But that takes a different skill set, but we can teach you how to do that. Wow. Uh, and how to reconnect because that's how the creator taught our first generation who passed it on through generation to generation to generation. Mm-hmm. And mm. so, uh, you know, these are very relevant examples just for t- today. I mean, people are starting to look to Indigenous people about uh, ways of fire management after these bushfires, but we've always been ready to teach um, about those indigenous ways to manage the land and wow. uh, through fire, but Australia hasn't let us teach. Wow. And so, how will uh, no matter who you are, you can help to open a door, create a pathway, uh, mm. give us an invitation, uh, and don't assume that we're not trying. We we knock on the doors, whether that's mm-hmm. the government, the church, the theological colleges, um, just our next door neighbour's door where they're knocking and asking and saying, let us teach you. We want to be in relationship with you. That's Mm. what we're called to do. Um, And so let's make it within our generations, within our lifetimes. Let's see this this actually happen. And I do encourage people to read Dark Emu uh, to actually understand uh, by Bruce Pascoe how mm. Australia was pre-colonisation and during the original colonisation. And I know some people will go, oh, you know, there's been some talk about Bruce Pascoe, but regardless, what mm. he says is what we've always known. Yeah. And so we find uh, incredible comfort and recognition in that book. And so you've got Aboriginal people all across Australia who are going, yes, this is what we've been telling you and it's right here in a book now. And so continue to pay attention to that because it's an incredible piece of work that will completely reframe your understanding um, of uh, Aboriginal people uh, participating uh, mm. in the achievements mm. of where we are today as um, in Australia. Wow. Wow. That's that's amazing, Brooke. And I know you've also touched on a movement or or a series of events called the the Grass Tree Gathering as well. Could you perhaps, to finish us off, tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so the Grass Tree Gathering, we started in 2012 and we're now a network of over 200 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders. Uh, So we've got a website, www.grasstreegathering.org.au and then also follow us at Grass Tree Gathering on Facebook uh, and uh, get to know the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders personally. And so those stories are shared through Grass Tree as well as uh, on Common Grace. You can see a number on Common Grace, commongrace.org.au and on social media at Common Grace AUS. Uh, and you'll hear the voices uh, of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders. And so uh, please connect with those movements, uh, get to know us, uh, pray for us, uh, and see how God is working incredibly, uh, that his spirit is moving right across these lands now called Australia and bringing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders together. Mm. And uh, we want people to come and be a part of that. So We don't know when the next time that we will be able to meet will be, uh, but please pray for that uh, and, uh, yeah, be watching out for when the time is right for us to meet together together again. 
awesome. Ah, wow. Thank you so much, Brooke. And thank you so much for, for today's interview and the work that you're doing. Um, it is, it's been fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for having me on. And um, I just encourage people to, I always say whenever I uh, talk to someone, it's uh, just do one thing. What's one thing that you can take away? And to start the conversation, uh, you know, this has been a, a wonderful conversation where we get to uh, learn from each other um, and we get to share our, our stories and uh, that's an incredible starting place. So if your listeners then go out and, and share uh, something that they've heard and start the conversation with five of their friends, mm. uh, we see that ripple effect right across Australia and um, to continue to bust, dispel the myths and the stereotypes and let's share the story of incredible Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders right across Australia. Mm. And uh, let's see what uh, Jesus does in all our lives and pray for that healing um, to burst forth right across these lands. Amen. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you so much. And as a final way, I'd love to share a blessing for you uh, in this uh, podcast and for your listeners. So mm. let me share this blessing with you. Um, this is a blessing that I wrote, uh, and so I hope it continues to encourage people um, to come on the journey or continue the journey with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Mm. May our footsteps on these ancient lands remind us of creation and connectedness in our search for truth. May the gum tree from its roots to its branches remind us to dig deep and reach high in our action for justice. May the eagle who soars in the sky remind us of the power in our call for love. May the expanse of the lands and seas of the sky and stars remind us of God's timing in our faith, in hope, and may the Holy Three, Creator Spirit, Lord God, Jesus, remind us of community. And so with grace, mercy and peace, go in truth. That was today's special episode during National Reconciliation Week 2020 with Brooke Prentice. To follow the work of Brooke Prentice, then follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Brooke Prentice Grass Tree and Twitter at B Prentice. Also, to learn more about Reconciliation Week, visit commongrace.org.au slash reconciliation underscore week underscore 2020. Here you can sign up for a series which includes daily devotions and creative ways to engage with National Reconciliation Week. Also, please sign up for church resources for Sunday the 31st of May. And finally, to learn more about Grass Tree Gathering, visit grasstreegathering.org.au. So, as we go into Reconciliation Week, let us remember these lands we meet on as we have a journey of friendship together, one that's grounded in truth and action, as we seek for a better, more reconciled world. In Jesus' name. That's it for this episode of Deeper and Wider. If you like what you heard, then please rate this episode on your podcast provider 
and share with your friends. To follow my work, then find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash nathan.forster or find me on either Twitter or Instagram at Nathan underscore Forster. Deeper and Wider is part of the Expansive Faith Network. To see more content like this podcast or to support our work, head over to expansivefaith.com. Until then, keep on seeking and go deeper and wider.